What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. I'm here with an old student and friend, Matthew Eisen. How's it going, Matt? Good, good. How are you? Yeah, I, I he uses the term student loosely. I took <laughs> intro to running from him, and I already knew how to run. <laughs> yes, I was, I was probably uh, one of the most uh memorable yeah let's call it memorable definitely not (laughs) not the most aggressive or hardest teacher but with a class like aerobic running how can you you know oh my bad aerobic running running. yeah no it was aerobic for sure so yeah so that was back in uh good old waco days at baylor university you were you were kind of finishing up your degree yeah i was just in here filling out credits that's right. That's right. So tell us a little bit about what brought you to Baylor and how you kind of got into the uh, the field of aerobic training in general. You can go into running specifics and then anything else you want to share. I mean, the reason I went to Baylor was mostly because I wanted to get the hell out of North Carolina and just like <laughs> move around. Um, yeah, I didn't have family that had really been anywhere. We didn't really go anywhere um very modest family uh in north carolina in like the the real country part of north carolina Mm. Uh, so i pretty much only looked at out-of-state schools Mm -hmm. uh, that would you know do the fafsa and all of that stuff and uh baylor worked out to be the most affordable way for me to go out of state. So I ended up at Baylor. Um, pretty glad I did that and didn't stay in state. But uh, in high school, I ran like kind of like the big fish in a very, very, very small pond story. Um, middle of nowhere in North Carolina. An 18-minute 5K in high school made you a superstar. And uh, I thought I was pretty good. And then I went to college and... I walked on for like a month and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that much fun. I mean, the, like the cross country program. Um, and I was by far the slowest person on the team. So I ended up uh, getting talked into a triathlon by a couple of my really, really good friends in college and figured I'd just try it out and showed up and just showed up like, the normal way overconfident 19 year old male and <laughs> threw my hat into the ring in a triathlon and got beat up pretty badly. But I had a lot more fun than when I was getting beat up badly running. So I pretty much just made that switch when I get, maybe I was 20, but 19 or 20 sophomore mm-hmm. year of, of college. Yeah. Gotcha. And that was the start. That was the beginning. Yeah. And it, as again, a uh, 19, 20-year-old male, it was mostly because a girl I liked agreed to do the triathlon, too. So, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good enough reason to do it anything. It didn't work out, but the triathlon worked out. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. It was a uh, blessing in disguise. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like a blessing at the time, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. I knew pretty quickly I dodged a bullet on that one. So. <laughs> well, that's good. It didn't take long to figure Yeah, it didn't take long. That's hilarious. So, um, 
I was actually introduced to you before you were, uh, before you took my class, I was introduced to you by another person on the triathlon uh, club team, and she was in one of my classes, and I think that's kind of how... Oh, Alexa? Alexa, yeah. Yeah, she had the biggest crush on you. <laughs> so I hope she watches this now. <laughs> you know what's really funny? This is crazy. So a dude that was um, an intern with me at the Cooper Aerobic Center mm-hmm. when I was between my junior and senior year of college, I think went to medical school with her. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Great so, story. Yeah, it's yeah. a small one. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Yeah, I hope she does watch this. So... <laughs> That's too funny. So, yeah, so you took my running class so that, you know, you could get some credits. But yeah. um, what what all were you doing training-wise while you were really getting into triathlons while at Baylor? Um, I've, like, as I guess like most triathletes, I'm pretty type A. Um, I think you'd back that up. Pretty OCD. It's gotten way better. Like it's, I've learned to control it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think I have. Yeah. No, she says no. Okay. She didn't know me in college though. Oh, she says no. I don't have OCD anymore. Oh, so yeah, maybe I've made the full switch. Congratulations. Um, that's awesome. Anyway, I just read like the internet. We're old enough. I feel like that. I remember when YouTube came out, and mm-hmm. like it started to become really easy to find out anything information about anything online mm-hmm. and i mean i just read and read i paid way way more attention to the training side of stuff than i did to my physiology degree in all honesty so um i did a lot of the same stuff i'm doing now and the stuff that seems to be very popular in aerobic training now like that 80 20 um hard is hard easy is easy Mm-hmm. regardless really of what you're training for um a lot of that i sucked at swimming so i swam a lot a lot in that terrible baylor pool um but yeah i mean i was just i was just full in like full full in i coach college kids now and i try and tell them like how full in i was and i don't think i can really convey it <laughs> accurately yeah. um mm-hmm. every now and then we get a kid who's similar but uh yeah, pretty extreme lifestyle. Working out at least twice a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what it takes to be committed to a sport like triathlon, especially, you know, the the longer distances you plan on competing in with, like, half Ironman and full Ironman. Like, it kind of becomes your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I think even... So when I was in school, it was... I mean, the competitiveness has just gone up. So it's kind of like how I picture ultra running being in 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, triathlon back then was like ultra running now. You know, you had three or four big names and then a pretty huge drop off. Like uh, um, with, you know, the 04 Olympics or the 2000 Olympics in triathlon, like those guys wouldn't come close to qualifying for the Olympics anymore. Wow. At, the, at the times they were putting out there. I mean, they wouldn't even be decent. They wouldn't be making a living as professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so regardless of the distance, like, 
I mean, you ran collegiately, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, you're running, you're training a lot for, at most, a 32, like, if you're slow, a 32-minute race in college, depending on where you went. Mm-hmm. And the shortest triathlon is going to take you, if you're really, really fast, 55 minutes mm-hmm. or low 50 minutes. So the whole mm-hmm. thing, even, like, a sprint triathlon is still the best in the world or always doing 25 to 30 hours a week whether it's a sprint or an olympic or a half or a full so so yeah it was a lot of time commitment Mm -hmm. so what what type of races were you primarily doing at that time uh olympics sprints and olympics like those i mean you're a college student so those are the cheapest number Mm -hmm. one and the older you get the more you just kind of build up that aerobic engine to go longer like i mean you know that i'm 31 years old if i beat my 5k pr at this point it's probably because my 5k pr wasn't very good like wasn't close to what i could have done mm-hmm. but i could probably i mean i can get significant prob- i could get significantly faster in an iron man over the next four to five years probably right. assuming mm-hmm. i don't get injured or something before i get you know before i start to top out mm-hmm. so in college i was um I was kind of made fun of for being like, I'm going to do the short distance now and mm-hmm. wait to do my first Ironman because people are always like, you do a triathlon, you got to do an Ironman. So I think I, I pushed off doing my first Ironman until I was 28, I think. Um, it's probably smart. Yeah, well, yeah, which is what everybody, like anybody is recommending now. Like you got to push it off and it, yeah. it worked out really well because I can still run, swim and bike pretty fast over short distances and mm-hmm. I'm continuing, you know, I think my ultimate peak is higher because I did that and I didn't just sign up for an Ironman to do an Ironman when I was 21. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's one of those things. Like you said, people kind of get that in their mind, like, Oh, this is, you know, this is peak in the sport is being able to get the tattoo yeah like so you have to do it and like like i've got clients who are like i don't care about sprints i don't really care about olympic distance like i'll do some 70.3s and then boom let's get this iron man done and i'm like well why don't you take (laughs) some time build up to that maybe think about things in you know three to five year blocks building up to that so that you're not just doing an Ironman maybe you'll actually be racing an Ironman and like there's a big difference oh, so a big, yeah and the sport no. the sport doesn't really do itself any favors in that regard either because I, I get short-term money making is to get people to sign up for the thousand dollar entry fee Ironmans but mm-hmm. like I just did a sprint draft legal race yesterday with Sometimes I race in the college race, like they open it up and the kids think, a few of the kids think it's kind of fun for me to be in the race with them mm-hmm. and just jumping in and doing a sprint draft legal. Like we all agree. And these, some of these kids have done a half Ironman just to do it. Mm-hmm. We unanimously agree. Like these are the most fun to go and race for an hour and then be done. And you can walk fine the next day. And yeah. I could do one pretty much indefinitely i could do one every weekend if i wanted to like a regular like a summertime 5k mm-hmm. type thing i could go every weekend yep. but they just don't that's not race directors aren't making money putting on a lot of small 
local races. They're making money putting on one or two giant races a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But like no. you said, it's it's good that things are changing in the sport and more people are getting into it. And Yeah, the young people are doing short stuff. Yeah. So primarily, and I think they're realizing, at least what I see from around the country, is they realize pretty quickly, you know, an Olympic is plenty. Like, mm-hmm. and you have to train just as much to be the best at an Olympic distance as you do to be the best at an Ironman. Mm-hmm. But you can walk <laughs> the next day, you know? Yeah. And you're not putting all your eggs into this one basket that you... My biggest fear is catching a cold. And, like, I yeah. put all of this time and effort into one or two times a year. I sound like such a hypocrite because that's what I do now is I do Ironman. <laughs> but... Uh, it's a big, like, it's a lot more stressful. For and, sure. And I'll coach people, and, you know, one out of 20 will get sick mm-hmm. the week before their Ironman. And they go, whatever, 10% slower because they have an upper respiratory infection. It's mm-hmm. always super frustrating. Yeah, that's unfortunately the nature of aerobic exercise. Yeah. Is part of that is exercise induced immunosuppression like the more volume you're doing the higher the risk of getting something like that oh, yeah. and and that's that's one of the uh unfortunate things that we have to deal with we don't have to deal with in most cases contact injuries thank goodness right Except we're not in your writing well that's that's true <laughs> there there are accidents people do fall people do yeah. have crashes but you know it's not we're not tackling each other in general so there's pros and cons to, you know, to every sport and how you train for those. And that's just one of the things. And most most aerobic or endurance sports, you kind of do have to put all your eggs in a in one basket, so if to speak. If you want to do the best you can do, I, I mean, I certainly, like, Kona happens yearly. And mm-hmm. I could do two Ironmans a year. But the first three years I was doing Ironmans, it's like... I only want to have to do that one time. Mm-hmm. So I can spend literally like 10 months training for that one time of doing an Ironman and mm-hmm. do it so much better than if I was doing one to qualify and then another one for shits and giggles. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of strategy. I think a lot more strategy that goes into these races than people think. And I think part of that is because there's so many people who are just – doing it to do it they they're not thinking about strategy but for for those individuals who are shooting for prs or are shooting for places or are shooting for you know sponsorship deals whatever the case may be when it comes down to it people who want to do better you've got to go into it with some sort of strategy in mind so um as a coach how do you develop a strategy for your for your athletes? I think the biggest thing and the thing that most people don't give a whole lot of thought to is picking the right event. Mm. Um, and that goes from whether you're going to pick an event with a downriver swim or a flat bike or a hilly bike or hot conditions, cool conditions mm-hmm. to for I mean, most of the pros are working some type of part time job anyway, picking an event where you have a clear space of time beforehand where life isn't going to be super busy. Mm-hmm. And like I'll meet CPAs who pick an event in April and I'm like, no, 
Like, I get it that this one's close by, but if you're going to spend all of this time and money anyway, drop the extra $500 to travel across the country to do mm -hmm. one in the fall so you can be prepared. Or school teachers, it, I coach a lot of school teachers because mm -hmm. they have a lot of time to train, I guess, over the summers. And it's always do one in the fall. Let's do one the week before you go back to school or two weeks before you go back to school. So you have, you can do all of this volume when you're not working. Let's not do one in February. Right. Yeah, right before exams. Not a good idea. Yeah, not a good idea. I mean, I think that's the biggest, that's like the number one thing that I see age groupers mess up is mm -hmm. pick a course because it looks cool instead of picking something that sets them up for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll never do... I'll never do a cold weather Ironman. Like I just never do that because I don't really slow down when it's warm comparatively to the rest of the field. Hmm. So, I mean, if Kona, um, I'll do my own brag plug. I was, well, I was like 80th in the world. And so I got 80th overall in Kona. I mean, if you do that race in the fall in Denmark, dude, I'm probably getting beat by four or 500 people. Like hmm. I'm going to hmm. slide so far back on a flat, cold course yeah or flat super windy where the bigger guys can just muscle their way through it better than me mm -hmm. yeah. um, so you got to know yourself and you as a coach you have to know your athletes their yeah. strengths and weaknesses when it comes to um not only like their schedule and the amount of stress that they have with their job but also how they handle specific uh variables like weather like temperature yeah things like that. Gotcha. So, um, do you, do you coach relatively individually or do you kind of have a basic framework that you try to make everybody fit into for lack of a better, you know, you know, that answer. <laughs> no, one's going to pay me to coach them. If I say the latter, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, the team, like the college team, that's how it works is mm -hmm. you have a framework and you have to convince people to fit into that because I can't individually coach 40 college students, right. you know, I mean, as much, I try and individualize it as much as I can, like setting up workout partners or doing some split workouts, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But you basically have a mold and people are either going to succeed or fail in large part based upon the mold. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we see, we see a lot of college students with a high level of talent. I mean, not me personally, but just throughout collegiate sports, they just go to a program they don't fit in. And, mm. you know, maybe if they picked a different program, they would have been super successful. But then on the age group side of it, um, yeah, it's super individual. I mean, mm. I have the personality types. Like, like I've, set, I've become way more type B um, the more I've done this. So mm. they're definitely personality types. I prefer to work with mm -hmm. um, but that's not to say like I coach a lot of really type a people and they benefit they seem to benefit from having a type b coach a lot mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in terms of their stress levels or um, specifically like leading up to race I mean I'm sure you see it like some people just they blow their race the week before through stress yeah um, but yeah it's super it ends up being super individual when I'm working one-on-one, -on -one. but in the, the university setting, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. and that's uh, that's not unique 
to endurance sports or to triathlon specifically like uh i mean when it comes to track and field like with with sprinting coaches with middle distance coaches that tends to be the same thing like when you've got a group of guys hey sorry wish i could make it individualized for everybody here's what we have to do in order for everybody to get some benefit it's kind of like least common denominator sort of thing and that's it yeah and i i tell them when they because sometimes they'll want to do like they'll say oh i'd really like to do this half iron man instead of collegiate nationals and i'm not saying this to sell them on anything but i'm saying it because i really believe it like you get one chance to be a collegiate athlete Mm -hmm. you've got the rest of your life to do this stuff on your own mm-hmm. like do your best to buy into this for four years mm-hmm. or at least for a given window of time and see if you like it because this is the only chance you're going to have to right. do to show up and have 40 people doing the same workout mm-hmm. that you're doing, all with the same goal you're going to lose that as soon as you graduate and not have it again so just give this a go and even if you know, 25% of the people on the team would be a little faster if they had a very type A coach. I think the totality, like do the most good benefits Mm -hmm. from just trying to get everybody to be, have one common goal and share that experience. You know, they can go hire a drill sergeant after they want to do age group triathlon. Um, So they always have that option, but there's only one shot to be a collegiate athlete for sure yeah that's that's the nice thing about uh endurance running about track and field about triathlon is there's such a huge competitive community outside of the professional ranks and outside of the collegiate level which is pretty great um (laughs) it's an awesome dog there you go he's just (laughs) He's just big enough to catch frisbees and just small enough to set where I want. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, yeah, like a lot, a lot of my clients are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s mm-hmm. who are relatively new to the sport. Oh yeah. And they love it. Like they're they're buying into it now. They love the the team aspect where they get to go train with a bunch of other people, but when they're racing, it's kind of, they're on their own. So they kind of like being able to experience both sides of that. And, and, uh, like, yeah, like that's, that's kind of how collegiate track was for me. You know, I'm like training with my team, but then come race day, it's not like cross country where it's like how you finish determines, you know, how your team places and it, yeah. there's team scoring in track, but for your there's, event, it's like, it don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like in your event, you're kind of, you're on your own. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, tell us a little bit about um, some individualized strategy for the swim, for the bike, and for the run. Kind of how you how you separate those out. Um, I mean, you know, the one big thing on the swim is that you can draft, and I don't think people really realize how much drafting plays a role so there's a definite um there's a definite strategy or a like pool ability to swim fast laps and then an ability to swim fast in the ocean and 
like personally, I frustrate the hell out of a lot of people I train with because I do a lot better in race than I do in the pool. Um, and most of that is just really, really tailoring everything to prep, not just training wise, but mentally too. Like, you know, you're in a pool, you're staring at a black line, you're thinking about form and just executing one, two, three over and over again. You know, thinking about really simple things and just execute, like you're doing a track workout, you know, keep your hips square, all of that stuff. Um, but when you get into open water, like this race to the past weekend, I it's a draft legal race. I know who the fastest cyclist in the race is. And I know if I outswim him, I'm in pretty good shape because he'll eventually catch up and then I can just latch on. Mm-hmm. So at the, I swim pretty hard to the first buoy. I see, I literally breathe and look right into the eyes of the fastest cyclist in the race who I know. And I speed up or I give a little bit extra to just get in front of him. Like give a little bit extra to get in front of him mm-hmm. and just make sure he's going to be behind me mm-hmm. and it'll work. I'm, I didn't make the fastest swim group and I never will because I didn't grow up swimming. But mm-hmm. for me, like at that point, it doesn't really matter how hard I swim. Like if I get out of the water a minute in front of this guy, he's going to catch me. Mm-hmm. If I get out of the water two seconds in front of this guy, I'll just sit behind him the whole bike ride. Right. So I start to swim very easy and just focus or a lot easier and just focus on like start thinking about transition and focus on making sure that guy is behind me. Mm-hmm. And when I get onto the bike, it's immediately, you know, where is this guy and get my feet in my shoes and wait for him to come around me. Don't waste any energy unnecessarily mm-hmm. he comes around me with a little group. Um, Cause I ended up being the fastest swimmer to not make the front group, but still just kind of chilling out, uh, and then on the bike, it's the same thing. Like, you can draft and draft legal triathlon. So don't pull unless it's going to help your race, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't waste energy. And so many people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Or they want to be, my fiancé loves to say this, a good sport and, you know, contribute. And I'm all about, like, when I'm racing, I'm about me. Like, it's the it's match. Race. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to do anything <laughs> that doesn't benefit me. Um, yeah. And saving that energy because it's a, I mean, again, to back to track and field, like every mile or, or 1500, excuse me, 5k or 10k on the track turns into strategy. Mm-hmm. Like you can run it two ways. You can run it, they can time trial it and try and stretch it out, mm-hmm. or they can just set it up for a 600 or a 400 kick. Sit and kick, and yep. Depending on, yeah, depending on who's in the race and really just depending on who's in the race is how other people are going to react to the race. And it's the same thing in triathlon. Um, And the non-draft stuff is the same thing. Like I get in the water and I swim hard until I see somebody who's swimming about that speed. And then I just get in behind them Mm -hmm. and I say, I'm going to save effort. This is about as fast as I would go if I was swimming all out by myself. So just save the effort. And I think people miss that a lot. Mm-hmm. Or just the totality of pacing in triathlon because it's all you only have so much to give. And mm-hmm. okay, so <laughs> I I get frustrated like a little. What really grinds my gears is when I hear whether on the pro end or the age group end, like wow, I had a great race up until halfway through the run. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like well, yeah, you might have been in tenth place halfway through the run, but fifty people 
could have been there at halfway through the run. The reason they weren't and they passed you is because they were not, they were smarter and they're faster than you. So mm -hmm. like getting into the mindset of I'm at this place at this point of the race, you know, if I wanted to enter, I don't know if you remember, it seems like every year when they started Boston as like a real math start, some age group guy would just sprint to the front for a couple miles and he can say, man, I had it. I was feeling awesome for the first eight minutes or nine yeah. minutes. Great. And that's I was leading in Boston. I know, but it's the same thing. Like the last, last 20% of a triathlon is going to be where most of the move movement happens. If movement's uh -huh. going to happen and pro racing and non-draft is a little boring because most of them know well enough not to do that. So there's not a lot of movement within the field throughout the whole day. There's not a lot of passing going on. Mm -hmm. so. so everybody's, even if somebody is a better swimmer or a better cyclist, let's say, they're still trying to like stay within, uh, let's striking distance, let's say, so that, yeah. it, so that it comes down to the last couple miles on the run. Yeah, or it just comes down to, like, there are a lot of business. I'm not going to, like, trash names. Or, well, it's a compliment, really. It's business decisions. Like, the guy who leads out of the water in Kona every year and stays right up at the front of the bike for the first three quarters of that bike, dude, he gets more press coverage in those four or five hours than he gets all year. And he's mm -hmm. a superstar come next Kona. And they're asking him, like, this is the year you hold it. And no, it's not. It's never going to be the year. Like, he's not – in the totality of the race, he's not good, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. in, yep. at the end of the race, he's not good. Mm -hmm. But he gets significantly more media coverage than the guy who races within himself, mm -hmm. gets out of the water 30th, gets off the bike 15th, and runs his way into 4th. Mm -hmm. They don't say that guy's name until the last half hour of the coverage. Gotcha. You know? yep. um, so there's that going on, too. There's that element of I need to get my media time and I need to exploit what I'm good at to make a living. Mm -hmm. But age groupers just I feel like lots of times they just don't understand. If you can be good for 80 percent of the race, that doesn't mean you're a gel away from being good at 100 percent of the race or mm -hmm. a drop water bottle. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, that's perfect segue. So tell us a little bit about how you fuel during uh, during sprints, during Olympics, during even the longer ones. Is it relatively the same, or do you kind of have I to? It's it's a lot different. I mean, um, I as a as a total diet, I'm very very high carb, and I think most people that are in the twenty ish hour training a week are just you got to be super high carb. And same gotta put gas in the tank, man. Yeah. Same for my racing. But for like a sprint, it's 55 minutes. I'm not going to get through all of my glycogen. Um, mm -hmm. I don't even carbo load for a sprint because I don't want any chance of stomach trouble. Mm -hmm. I just kind of rest and eat normally and then have a normal whatever breakfast, depending on when the race is. But just kind of eat light and put a bunch of caffeine in a half hour before the start. And you do the whole thing without anything. Um, mm -hmm. An Olympic, you're pushing two hours, depending on how fast you are. So you start to like, you'll at least get the, I want some sugar, the, you mm -hmm. know, the brain thing where you're getting a little foggy. Yep. So for that one, the totality might be 
50 grams of carbohydrates for the whole thing, um, usually on the bike, and then just splashing water. When you get into halves and fulls, it turns, at least in the full, a bit of it is how much can you put in. Like that's mm -hmm. a large determine, determiner in how you're going to finish. There's an, there's an interesting self-reported chart on carbs per hours and Ironman finish time. And there is a perfect trend of you're not going to go under nine hours unless you're getting close to 400 grams or 100 grams of carbohydrates an hour for the majority of that event. On the run, it gets harder to process. But um, so for an Ironman, I'm all liquid, big carb load for the two or three days beforehand. Um, I salt load the day beforehand. So I'll show up five, like the morning I might be five pounds heavier than mm -hmm. I am in a normal training cycle and a little bit of, little bit of swelling going on. Mm -hmm. um, but the race is low enough intensity that I generally don't get any stomach or if my stomach's a little upset from all of that salt and carb loading, um, it doesn't seem, it, it just kind of works itself out over mm -hmm. the day. I mean, in all honesty, not to get crass, but it's a nine hour race. If you got to take a 90 second poop, it's not the end. Of, like, yeah, <laughs> where's do it? Point? Yeah, like you, you, mm -hmm. um, so it, I'll salt load, carbo load, and then it's 100 grams of carbohydrates an hour in the form of, I mean, the brand I use is goo, but it's essentially just malto and fructose and amino acids and electrolytes. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, a plug. The reason why I use goo is because it has higher levels of salt than most of the gels. Gotcha. So I'm looking at 700 to 900 milligrams of salt an hour for the event too. Gotcha. Uh, it's a lot more than what they say on the bottles and most stuff to do, but mm -hmm. in professional triathlon or front age group triathlon, that's pretty much what at the minimum what everyone's doing. Gotcha. So by using goo, are you essentially just making it so that you don't then have to go with some sort of other electrolyte product? Yeah. So I just making it simple. I, I standardize it because God forbid you have a contaminated supplement, right? So like that's, I mean, that's something that I get worried about. So I know if it's all goo, then I can just keep the packages. Like I only use two different goo products really. Uh -huh. And it's easy enough to just have the item number, you know, that batch looked at if you had, like, if you had to go down that route. Mm -hmm. um, so I like just having it all standardized. And mm -hmm. I like, I was, this seemed crazy to me when I was 25, and it seems crazy to people when I start, but the all liquid for the duration of the race uh, has worked out really, really well for me. And I mean, most of the sub nine hour Ironman people, you, you end up going all liquid um, because if you eat, I mean, in nine hours, like if you're eating solid food, sometimes you do have to take that 90 second bathroom break or two minute bathroom break mm -hmm. during the race. Um, so I love the all liquid. And then to get a little bit more techy, like depending on the weather, I'll just concentrate a bottle. So I'll dump eight goos, 800 calories, or uh, 200 grams of carbs into one bottle, 
and have two of those on my bike. And then all I have to do is take water at the hand ups for the first mm-hmm. four hours. I got four hours worth of nutrition on, in two water bottles. And gotcha. there's nothing else I have to think about. Just uh-huh. drink half a water bottle an hour and supplement with water at the aid stations. Gotcha. You know, you're not dealing with special needs, these having your own pro nutrition or whatever on course. It's mm-hmm. just, it's right there and you don't have to think. Gotcha. I, I think that's really interesting just because uh, so many people are uh, trying to, to separate out all of these different components and, yeah. and try to make it all like, oh, this has to be individualized. This has to be this way. Like I know uh, um, Dr. Stacy Sims who studies. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah she's yeah. really awesome. But she says – all of your energy should be solid food and all of your electrolytes should be from liquid sources. And like, that's how she programs it out. And I'm like, okay, I can see the benefit to that. That's really interesting. Um, and she knows a ton about maintaining hydration and, um, and fueling. So I really like hearing her perspective, but, um, sometimes it's just too complicated. Sometimes it's really hard to do. Right. So I think, it's really interesting that you're just like, hey, keep it simple. And as long as like how how long did you have to practice that type of setup before it felt normal? Or was it just kind of like right away? Uh, it's hard to determine because I started doing that pretty early on. And some of it was just the difficulty, like when I was in college of losing weight. So mm-hmm. if I could take in more calories while I was working out, I, my weight seemed to stabilize better. Um, uh-huh. First world problems, right? I'm yep. losing too much body fat. Um, and I was oh, already reading. Can I, can I cut you off? I just thought yeah. of another thing. Uh, what you said about going into the race a little heavy. Like I know so many individuals who are like um, – I've got to get race weight. I need to lose no. weight going in. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you like your weight? Like think of your weight as your gas tank. Like the yeah. less you weigh, the less glycogen you can store, the less you can maintain like muscle hydration status. Like the, these, it's not necessarily always a good idea to just go into it as, as light as possible because that's a smaller engine. That's a smaller gas tank. And at the end of the day, like, you're not going to be able to train as intensely if you're in a calorie deficit. Oh, yeah. So, um, the battle for me is keeping weight on when I'm really training mm-hmm. and trying not to lose too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's all water weight in the week before the race anyway. So it's not like I'm fat. I'm going to be back to normal weight two hours or three hours into the race. Mm-hmm. Or certainly in an Ironman by the time I'm running. Like, I've gone through all of that water I had saved up. Um, right. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just thought that was really, was really interesting because so many people are like, they're just so afraid of, of racing at, you know, at the weight they are 10 weeks out. And I'm like, ah, like if, if you're doing everything you need to do training wise, then maintaining your weight is probably the best situation like yeah because if you're losing weight at at least significant if you're fluctuating you know within three to five pounds that's relatively normal but um if you're losing a lot of weight going into the race 
you're probably not going to compete the way you want to. So oh, yeah, I think all high-level endurance athletes know the weight because they've they've gone too low. They know the weight. That's the point of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Of like, if I so for myself, when I start seeing under 150, I mean I'm 5'11", and triathlon is a strength sport first and just volume volume when i start seeing my weight get down under 150 it's a little concerning because i know i can't do i can't be that lean i can't be at two or three percent body fat for six months so i mean i have an iron man in five weeks and it's happening right now so i'm fine with that like i can be super fit for two months out of the year but if i'm that weight in june and i have a half iron man in november and it's from training a lot, that's probably not the greatest situation. Yeah, your hormones are not going to be yeah, able yeah. to function. Like, yeah. like no testosterone, no growth hormone, no IGF-1, yeah. no mechanical growth factor. Like, your ability to repair, your ability to adapt, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, like, there's, there's periods of time where, like you said, like, it's okay because the – what you're doing training-wise – to apply to get enough volume is more important sometimes than how potent your recovery can be because you sometimes you just got to put in the miles yeah um but no man i i think that's that's one of those things that people just often don't uh they they tend to move towards one end of the spectrum or the other we're like yo i i need I'm an elite endurance athlete. I need to be at, you know, 5% or less body fat all the time. Or it's the other end of the spectrum. Like, I need to be losing weight all the time. Like, yeah. That's like, well, no and no. Like, yeah. I mean, if you can, <laughs> people hate this too, but it's a consistency thing. Like, the reason I've gotten faster pretty much, except I took a year off, but pretty much from 20 to 31 it's all gotten a little faster every year. And if you had told me how much I'd have to train to get just this much faster over the course of that, or what seems to me like such a small amount of faster, I just, that would have made me angry, but it's the truth. (laughs) Like it's, it's just a little bit, it's a little bit every year stacked up Mm -hmm. and there's no way to rush it. I mean, I, I think a lot of amateurs train more than than pros. Like I see stuff on Strava that's crazy, mm-hmm. um, and it is just volume. It's obsessive compulsive volume disorder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, so I think we're on the same page. Like you need to show up 100% healthy, 100% rested, and then fitness is the third thing. And you can, you know, if you're 100% healthy, you're 100% rested you're way better off than coming in. You can't be 100% fit without the first two. Mm. So I don't care what you think fitness is. If you're injured or you're tired, you're not going to perform well on race day. Mm. So what type of recovery modalities do you use to make sure that you're, you're staying healthy? Well, I live in California, so... <laughs> Go on. Um, I, Go think on. Really I think that's a really interesting topic. Um, mostly I just sleep a lot. 
And that's been the biggest, like I would say sleeping more than I did when I was in my early 20s or mid 20s is the biggest. Uh And then um, I don't like to label diets, but we eat very little meat, if you would. Like we eat some fish. Um, I'll get eggs sometimes, but just like traditional. And it forces me to, I mean, I got takeout tonight, but mostly it forces me to cook Mm -hmm. everything. And I just try and minimize the amount of like pre-prepared stuff we're Mm -hmm. having. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we have pre-prepared stuff a few times a week, but Mm -hmm. lots of our meals are, we are cutting potatoes and cutting up vegetables and cooking lentils or beans or quinoa Mm -hmm. and making a meal out of that. And I, I mean, between the sleep and just eating Cleaner, I guess is a word, or but more vegetables, more uh, real whole grains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel better now than I did when I was 24. So I don't recover the same way when I do a high intensity effort, but I think my energy on the whole, like throughout the day, is better. And my mood is certainly better than mm-hmm. it was when I was at peak training volume and just eating Panda Express every night. Or, <laughs> yeah. I hear you. So do you keep track of like how many calories you're expending during your training? Do you keep track of, of how, like your, your predicted calorie needs or is it just like, well, I run pretty much the same pattern. Um, most of the year is two day either two days pretty hard and then a day off or, three, maybe four days hard, and then a day off. And then that, if I do four days in a row a couple times and I need extra, I'll end up taking two or three days lighter. Um, But you know what I mean? Like, so on a bigger day, a more, a bigger training day, I know Mm -hmm. I burn more calories. So Mm -hmm. I tend to cook something that is a bit heartier. Um, Gotcha. Or just make it fattier. Like, Mm -hmm. just fry the vegetables or fry the potatoes in a skillet instead of baking them gotcha. um, and just add calories that way on a bigger day. Mm-hmm. And then on a lighter day, I'll have lighter meals and generally more fiber um, on the lighter day mm-hmm. because when I'm training a lot, it ends up being a calorie battle and I'll miss out on fiber because I'm like, I'm starving. I'm going to have another big bowl of white rice to mm-hmm. fill me up and get my carbs instead mm-hmm. of like I'm gonna chew a bunch of vegetables for the next 45 minutes. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And then uh, you've mentioned your weight quite a bit, so you're just you're tracking that to make sure that if you are losing too much weight, then you know to either adjust your training or to adjust your diet. Just to so that's kind of how you're calibrating everything. Yeah. So I, I just watch my weight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just try and weigh yourself at the same time of day every i mean i do it once every four or five days when i'm training mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. when i'm just general training for like four or five months out of, i might weigh my not weigh myself all of the entire four or five months mm-hmm. um but like right now i'm doing it just to check that i'm eating enough gotcha because uh, it, it does become i mean your hormones get a little swoopy and sometimes if i train a lot my appetite will actually suppress Mm-hmm. And I won't be as hungry in the evenings that as I was 
I mean, even from day to day. So on a really big training day, my appetite doesn't necessarily respond that day. Um, I'll usually just be so tired. Like, I'm just tired. Like, I don't even want to deal with the eating. And then on an off day, I'm like, oh, I got all this time. Like, I can just eat the whole time I'm at my computer. Um, I don't have to worry about not eating too much because I'm about to go work out. That's another thing when you're doing two workouts or sometimes three a day. Like, you can't just stuff your face at any given time of the day because it'll make the next workout uh, worse. But on off day, you just – so I've gotten better at eating more on the days I need more calories and then controlling myself on the days I don't need the calories. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, that's, that's another interesting topic, like within sports in general, but specifically with, uh, aerobic sports is like eating enough because with, with most of the athletes in general that I work with, they're like chronically under eating what they could be eating to, to maximize their adaptations to training. So, um, for a lot of them, keeping track of calories, uh, like some people just don't want to do it. And it's like, all right, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to try to add another stressor to your life. Like, listen, I wrote a book about it. I want you to track calories if you can do that. But if you can't do that, then, this is going to make training harder for you. If I'm trying to add this other thing in, you're going to get frustrated with me. You're going to get frustrated with how things are going. It's not going to help. So, um, so is this the, the, the typical setup that you do with your, uh, with your athletes is just say, Hey, like, let's keep it simple. When something comes up, we'll adjust when we need to. Otherwise let's not make it something, uh, until it's something. You know, for the age groupers I have that are training eight hours a week, if they come to me 15 pounds or 20 pounds overweight, I normally just tell them, like, hey, let's ignore a lot of the exercise nutrition ads out there, and let's just start training, and you eat what you normally eat. Mm-hmm. Because if, you're, if you've got some weight to lose, you may be over. Like, let's just give it a couple of weeks and see what happens, or three weeks and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then you know, they're filling out their thing or texting me. Um, I usually just kind of wait. And then if I don't really hear, if I don't hear that they're having some, if every workout is successful, then eventually I'll prompt them. Like, are you sure, like, are some days you're just a little bit more fatigued or um, to talk about the total eating? But, I mean, you just, I'll just remind them day of on a big day. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're going to work out twice. Like, especially if they're new, hey, you know, if you're going to work out after work, remember, if you have lunch at 1130 and you don't eat from 1230 to six and then you try and run at 630, that run might be pretty terrible. So Mm -hmm. even though it seems counterintuitive because we're trying to lose weight, you probably need to raise your blood sugar at four or five p.m. before Mm -hmm. that run or so the run will go well. And ultimately, you will have a more sustainable training plan. And uh, you'll do the run well. You'll burn more calories from having done the run run well than eating that banana. Yes, that's yeah. that's an issue that most people uh, like. It feels counterintuitive. Like, why should I eat 
if my if the goal is to lose weight, why do you want me to ingest calories? It's like, well, do you want a potent training stimulus? Do you yeah. want do you want to send a signal to your body that it should maintain this lean tissue mass and then on the recovery end of things, maybe start tapping into this stored fat as a source of recovery fuel? Like cuz if you're if you're not, like you said, if you're not giving the body that little bit of, of spike in blood glucose, then your training intensity is not going to be very high. You're not going to burn very many calories you're, or as many yeah. as you could. Um, and then your adaptation is not going to be as profound because you're not applying a, a potent stimulus. So um, you got to feed the machine. Like You've got to train intensely when it's time to train intensely. And in order to do that, you've got to have gas in the tank. Yeah. Um, you said something like to do the training. I think that's the biggest, like the best way to describe all of it for what I do is you eat to do the training. Mm. And if you can do the training, if you're consistent, eventually your body is going to take the shape that is best for the training. Mm. And it might take a little while, depending on where you're starting, but eventually you'll, your body will work itself out to do the training well. As long as you continually to prep yourself to do the training well. You gotta, you gotta eat to do the training. Yeah. So, well, awesome, man. This has been, this has been pretty legit so far. I'm really glad we were able to catch up and do this. So, yeah. um, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, like if somebody wants to contact you to do some coaching or if somebody wants to follow you, what are ways that that, uh, that they can do that? Um, I'm going to find out what my Instagram handle is right now. Uh, <laughs> Don't I, uh, You're not the first the kid, guest to do that. I, I didn't, I hated social media before I started coaching the college team. Oh, sorry. It kind of cut out. Oh, you're um, good. yeah, I hated social media before I started coaching the college team. And now it's like, it's one of my favorite things. So, uh, <laughs> I have such a terrible handle too. coach Matt triathlon engineer is my Instagram handle. Um, my Strava is the same thing. That's pretty much all of my stuff is under, and this is a funny story. It's going to piss off some engineers, but my fiance is an engineer and I coach a lot of engineers because they're generally type A numbers oriented. They love that type of thing. Yeah, the data. And it became like commonplace when I would coach an engineer. Eventually they would rant about somebody calling themselves an engineer that isn't like a waste management engineer or whatever. So a couple of years ago, I just changed all of my social and stuff to be Coach Matt Triathlon Engineer just to irk them. And most of these people I spend time talking to about, hey, you got to not let so much stuff irk you, like specifically for racing. Mm -hmm. You just got to go with the flow because travel is going to get messed up. Nutrition's going to get a little messed up. Mm -hmm. You just got to go with the flow. So I did that as a joke to like say you just gotta go with the flow like don't worry about it and it's stuck that's so, amazing that's <laughs> i love it i love it did i i consider myself a a human body engineer no exactly man so yeah like i'm we're engineering athletes i mean yes. we are the we are the definition of an engineer yeah i mean yeah I studied biomechanics. I studied the physics of human movement. I study, yeah. you know, like 
the the biophysics, like, like I, I gotta I gotta know this stuff. I mean, if there if there's such a thing as an athlete engineer, we are it. That's us, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, do you have any parting words of advice for anybody watching or listening right now? Um, super plug. I'm on a triathlon team called uh, Everyman Jack. So if Rich, you're watching this, you need to keep me on the team and keep sponsoring me because I do. <laughs> so nice. He's never gonna watch it. He's never gonna watch it, but hopefully it gets tag, back to him somehow. Tag him. Tag him in it. Yeah. So you need to come out to California, and we'll do a hard training session. We'll pop an edible and then make a podcast about recovery. <laughs> Does that sound good? Sounds good. Let's try right. it. I'm I'm open to trying it. I'm a scientist. Yeah, you got to experiment. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Like CBD is huge in Texas right now. There's you can't oh. go 30, 30 yards down a main road without a, a CBD company yeah. opening up and selling something. So uh, USA Triathlon just became the first sport governing body to sponsor with a CBD company. Wow. Yeah, it happened like yesterday. I've been making fun of them for a while. THC is still banned, and they say on their website, no CBD is fully free of THC. So you should exercise extreme caution when using any CBD. And then on the next page, on their homepage, USA Triathlon announces CBD sponsorship. So, (laughs) Wow. But yeah, that's the thing. You can't. You can't separate the two completely no you can't 100 percent and they're they can get 99.9 percent but yeah that 0.01 is sneaking in yeah i mean if you work for it's for some of my athletes that work for the federal government it's a big thing mm. like it's uh um like it, it's not the same threshold that it is for most workplaces so mm-hmm. my two cents on it that's crazy. Well, yeah, man, we'll uh, we'll have to have you on again in the future to discuss more. But yeah, if I ever find myself out in Cali, um, let's make it happen. Cool. Don't call it Cali. No one that lives here calls it Cali. Just well, FYI. That's fine. I can call it Cali. It's free country. While it's still a free uh, okay. country. <laughs> Texas. All right, man. Alrighty, y'all. Thanks so much for watching and listening. And uh, Please go follow Matt right now. And uh, if you guys have any questions related to triathlon training, please be sure to uh, let him know. And stay tuned for the next episode. We will see you all next time.